Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you. My name is Wade. I have the wonderful privilege of loving and serving these amazing college students here. It's great to be with you. Uh, we're going to continue our series in Genesis. Today we're going to be in Genesis 11, 1 to 9, the Tower of Babel story. And some of you may be familiar with this story because you grew up in church. It's a pretty uh, amazing story, actually. And if any of you haven't been a part of church, this is maybe a newer experience to you being a part of Parkview or coming to your church on a Sunday. I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, whether you're a Christian or not, this story is just amazing. So whether you believe, oh, this is God's word, and, you know, maybe some of you may feel like, ah, I don't believe that. It's just, it's an amazing story. And the way it's crafted together, especially like you're an English major, you're a college student, wow, okay. Here's a great example of how to write a good story. And so, uh, but at Parker, we believe this is God's word, and that he is speaking to us right now. And that's what we're doing, right? We sing musical worship to Jesus, but then as we turn to his word, it's not like we stop worship, do something called preaching, and then we start, no, it's, it's all worship. And so we're going to look at God's word and, uh, and love him together. And so uh, what we've been learning uh, through Genesis, especially, specifically thinking about Genesis 3 to 11, is this. Okay, holidays are coming up, and uh, one thing this means for sure is that many of us will be visiting our in-laws, okay? Now, this is not my experience, but for some of you, spending time with your in-laws, uh, you have moments of joy and goodness, but primarily it's despair and depression, okay? Because you just, you know, it's just, ah, it's just really hard, okay? And really, that's, that's actually what it's like reading Genesis 3 to 11, is that you have these moments of joy and goodness. You have God's promise uh, that he's going to crush the work of Satan through the offspring of the woman, and you have kind of the, the promise of, of grace to Adam and Eve, and then you have the story of Noah. Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, but actually, primarily what's happening uh, is that it's, it's, many scholars call it the spiral of sin that's taking place in Genesis 3 to 11. And what we see is that the human heart seems to keep, keep growing uh, worse and worse. And what we're going to find in the Tower of Babel is actually the very kind of depth of the spiral of sin. And uh, that's, that's what we see in the Tower of Babel story. And that the sin has actually infected every person on earth, and they're in rebellion against the Lord. So Babel shows us that humans are going the wrong direction. That's what we're going to see. We're going the wrong direction, and we need the Lord to intercede and change our direction. That's what we're going to see. So I'm going to read the text out loud as we all commit our hearts to listen intently to God's word. So hear now God's word to us today. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Shinar, later called Babylon. And they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And so they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Bitumen is tar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down. And there confuse their language, so they may not understand one another's speech. Verse 8, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, 
And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given to us in love. So let's pray because of that. Father, we ask that you would fulfill your purposes through your word today in our lives as your church. We pray not only for ourselves here at Central, but also for Pastor Josh at North Campus and Pastor Thomas at East Campus. I pray that you would empower both of them by your Holy Spirit to preach Jesus with clarity and helpfulness. And we also pray for us here at Central. And so right now, personally, ask that Jesus would help you see him today and change you by his word. And then pray also for me that I would speak God's word in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Father, please exalt Jesus, your Son, from this passage into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and advance your kingdom in us and through us as your church, we pray. Amen. So truth be told, if I was totally honest with you, I'm the most directionally challenged human being who's ever lived on the face of planet Earth, okay? I just struggle with directions. So if you're with me and we're downtown and you're like, okay, let's go to this place, good luck, okay? It's going to go badly for you. I just, I just get lost easily. Google Maps was created for weirdos like me who can't even really find their way home from work. I mean, it's just, it's just a struggle, okay? It always has been, all right? Except there was one moment, I remember one moment as a kid, that I got directions right, okay? It was my family was move, uh, not moving, but we, were, we visited a place in Colorado. We were coming back from Colorado into Phoenix. If you go from Colorado to Phoenix, you go southward on the highway. And uh, so there we are driving south, okay? In our highway, in our lane. And I'm sitting there in the back, you know, probably playing my Game Boy or whatever. And then I look to my left, and lo and behold, there's a guy on the northbound freeway going southward, Okay? Now, I don't know directions very well. I've always struggled with them, but I know one thing for sure. Never go southward on a northbound freeway. That guy, I am certain, was going the wrong direction. He was going the wrong direction, and it was going to end up in disaster for him if he did not change his direction. And going the wrong direction, this is actually what we see in Babel. You see, what we have in the Scripture so far, the story of Scripture from Genesis 1 to 11, is that God has given us a specific direction, okay? He has made us in His image, and He has blessed us, meaning that we have a loving relationship with Him, and His blessing and love and goodness was to overflow in outward love for others, okay? God says in Genesis 1 that we should multiply and fill the earth. That's, that's what He gave to Adam and Eve, right? Fill the earth. Go. Go to the earth and fill it. That's the direction we should be heading. But what we see in the Babel story is that humans have gone the wrong direction. We are going southbound on a northbound highway. What we actually see specifically is that we're going the wrong direction and that God must intervene to turn the wrong direction of our hearts. So I think on your outline, there's a big aim uh, well, you could just flip it to a big question. We're going to ask a big question today that we're going to see the Tower of Babel answers, okay? The question is this. How does God respond to the wrong direction of our Babel hearts? 
How does God respond? What does God do to the wrong direction of our Babel hearts? Okay? The outline, very simple. Verses 1 to 4 is our Babel hearts. Our Babel hearts. And what we're going to see is that our Babel hearts, they go upward and inward. Upward and inward. Meaning they go upward in self-praise instead of God-praise. And inward in security and seclusion instead of outward. Upward and inward. That's our Babel hearts. And then verses 5 to 9, we're going to see God's reversal. God's reversal. Verses 5 to 9. And we're going to see the movement of God is downward and then outward. Downward to then move us outward. All right. Let's look at the, four, the first four verses that show us our Babel hearts. Like the man heading in the wrong direction, we're going to start seeing that humans are heading in the wrong direction with Babel hearts. But look at verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and same words. The focus here is unity. They're all together, one language, one words. Actually, that's what the Hebrew could, you, you could actually translate it, not only one language, but then one word. So one, oneness, unity. That's the focus here in uh, verse 1. But in verse 2, we see now a portion of these unified people, what? Moving from the east and then finding a plain in the land of Shinar, also known as Babylon, and settling there. Now notice that the text says, migrating from the east. Now if you've been paying attention at all to the first several chapters of the Bible, especially chapters 3 and 4, you will notice that this phrase kind of east or from the east, east of Eden, is a pretty significant phrase. And theologically, it's telling us something about humans. Okay, for example, right after Cain murders Abel, the text says he wandered away from the presence of the Lord east of Eden. And that's the condition that you and I experience every day of our lives. We are east of Eden. We are not home. We are lost and our hearts are not functioning the way they ought to be. We may not murder people like Cain does, his brother Abel, but the Bible's very clear. Something has gone wrong deep within us and we do not have the resources or ingenuity or cleverness to figure it out. And so east people migrating from the east. And so if, if we're reading this, we, we would ask the question, okay, how are people faring now? How are people getting along east of Eden? How is life east of Eden? Well, look at verse 3. It tells us what they're up to, what direction they're heading. It's they, they come together, they say, hey, come, let's make bricks and let's burn them thoroughly. And so they have brick for stone and tar for mortar. And so here they are together, unified people, ambitious in their production of building materials, which at first glance seems to be pretty good. Because if you remember, what did God tell Adam to do? Have dominion over my creation I've made and make stuff out of it, basically. And so here God's, here are people God has made, and they have kind of this creative authority over his world, and they're taking God's materials he provided, and they're breaking, making brick, and it's wonderful, right? The million-dollar question is this, for what purpose are they making the bricks? What, what direction are they heading, we might ask? Well, look down at verse 4. Here we're going to really slow down and spend some time. This, this is an, an essential verse of this passage, one of the most important verses of this passage. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed <coughs> over the face of the whole earth. So now we see the true direction humans are moving. I want you to know something unique about this passage, okay? Look closely at verses 1 to 4 and just 
seek to kind of grasp the, the flow of the way that humans are moving in this passage. Okay, look at verses 1 to 2. Humans, one language, gather together in one place. Verse 3, they make bricks. Then verse 4, they, bake, they take those bricks, build them into a city and a tower. They go upward. For what purpose? Now, that's in, it's an interesting question because scholars point out that in Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia, where this was happening, uh, towers were built, most likely kind of ziggurat structures, kind of like that. And on the top of the temple, or top of the, the structure, tower, would be a temple. And the temple was used for worshiping the gods. But here we say, see, God, because people coming, to, or people coming together, taking bricks, building up a tower, for what purpose? Not worship of God, but to make a name for themselves. Worship of self. They are moving upward. But what else, what else do we see? There's, there's, there's one more thing. They come together, moving up. We see that the notice the end, the phrase, so that they do not be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So we might say it like this. What Babel shows us is that in every human heart, apart from a life-giving relationship with God, we have the propensity to take stuff to build little towers for our own self so that we don't turn outward and be dispersed. Meaning, what's going on here is this. Humans up, go upward in praise of self and then they turn inward in seclusion and security because these people here at Babel do not want to fulfill God's command. They do not want to disperse, do they, right? Because isn't that what God does and ca calls them to in Genesis 1:28 and in Genesis 9? It's very clear, right? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But here, what are they doing? They're, build, they're going upward, and they're turning inward. We don't want to be scattered. We are looking into ourselves. We are making a name for ourselves. And that is what the Babel heart is all about. The Babel heart is moving upward for praise of self and then turning inward in selfish security or seclu seclusion from God's purposes of blessing others. Now, this is not an ancient human problem, is it? This is a problem here today in Iowa City in the 21st century. We live in what people call a culture of consumerism. In a culture of consumerism, the individual person exists to uh, purchase stuff, pursue stuff, have certain pleasurable experiences, all for the purpose of making themselves feel happy. We take little bricks, we build towers, and it's all for ourselves. If you're a college student here, where are you right now being enticed to go upward in praise of yourself? Honestly, I remember being a freshman in college, and I remember early on in conversations uh, over a lunch table at the cafeteria or in my dorm room, I just wanted to sneak in little things about myself that I did in high school that would set me apart from all the, you know, earthlings of, of my college, right? Look at me. I did X, Y, and Z. I was involved in this type of club. Oh, I, I, you know, I did this type of thing as a Christian. You know, all the, a little sneaky. It wasn't overt. I wasn't saying, hey, I'm incredible, and here's four reasons why, okay? We, that's not how we work as humans. We're subtle and crafty, okay? But what was I doing? I was, I was subtly building a little tower for myself so people could notice me and say, wow, look at Wade. We all do it. If you're college student, how, how, how does that play itself out in your life? We're all looking for this human approval, aren't we? A building a tower for, for our name. 
if you're not a college student, maybe you're on social media, okay? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, right? Are you thinking honestly about how you are using your social media platform? Question is this, does an incessant posting of updates about yourself, perfect pictures about yourself, actually contribute to other people praising God? Or if we're just simply honest, we just want people to notice us, to like us, to think we are beautiful. What we're doing is taking this thing called an iPhone or a Galaxy, whatever, and uh, it's a little tower for our name's sake. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let me make a name for myself. We do it all the time. It's our babble hearts. Those of us at work, is your nine-to-five job a platform to garner approval from others instead of means by which you are serving the Lord and contributing to the blessing of your neighbor? At the beginning of this year, I was, I was discouraged about different things going on uh, at 24-7. And uh, I think really the main reason, if I was really honest, uh, was because it came from a desire to, uh, to preach sermons in such a way that students would like me. And I felt discouraged after sermon after sermon early on in this semester. And as I was reflecting in community and confessing it to certain uh, trusted brothers of mine and talking to Claire, and I think, not the, the only motivation, right? I think one of the things, if I was just to be completely honest with you, is uh, I was using sermons as a means by which to make a name for myself because if the students like my sermons, they will come back. And if they come back, what does it say about 20 verse? Oh, wow, man, Wade, look at him lead 24-7. Look at it, look at it, oh, wait. You know what I'm saying? That's how it plays itself out in my life. What about you? In what ways do you use your work to build a tower to make a name for yourself, to garner a reputation, to be seen as fill-in-the-blank, successful, amazing, powerful, we have Babel hearts. Some of you here are retired. In what areas of your life do you desire to turn inward in seclusion and safety? Right? We're seeing that the Babel heart kind of has two moves to it, okay? It's upward to build a tower for yourself and self-praise to gain accolades and reputation from others and affirmation. But it's also a, a, a mean, the Babel heart, what it does is it secludes yourself from blessing others, from dis- being dispersed, right? What does it say in, in verse 4, the last phrase, right? So that we would not be dispersed over the face of the earth. So in what way, if you're retired here, are you turning inward in seclusion and safety instead of being dispersed, sent outward by the Lord to bless others in your life? Now, I'm not retired, so I'll be careful here. But I assume if you looked at your schedule, my, my, my question for you would be this. Are you allowing the Lord and his purposes to shape your daily schedule, or are you believing the lie that culture tells you about retirement, which really, to be honest, it's just about you. Now's your time to shine. Now's your time to really live the life you always wish you lived. So your time and your money, it's really, it's about you. I want to be careful here. That does not mean you can't do traveling and all that. That's great. But if you were honest with yourself, have you been building your, your life in such a way in retirement that is secluding you from eagerly serving, blessing, and caring for others? What is it? Are, are, we, are we actually having Babel hearts? My assumption is yes. Babel 
is not an ancient historical monument. It is a present reality in 21st century Iowa City. We have Babel hearts. It is our disease. It is our problem. We, like that man going south on the north, we're heading the wrong direction. Our hearts are going upward in praise of self and inward in seclusion and security. So how does God respond? Right, that's the question we ask, right? We, we ask, what, what is God going to do about these, this Babel heart? How is he going to respond to our Babel hearts? Well, let's look at 5 to 9. And we're just going to go kind of verse by verse here. Verse 5. And the Lord, here's his response, the Lord came down. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, the Bible doesn't use a ton of humor, but if there's any place that might be biblical, it might be this, okay? And why? Well, just think of the irony here. Here are humans and all of their ingenuity and the best creativity, making bricks, put them together, building a tower up to the heavens. And there's the Lord being like, what is that? What is the thing now? Wait a second. I can't. Okay, let's, let's, okay, let's go down real quick. Oh, wow. You're spending your life pursuing that. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's kind of how I, I, I sense verse 5. It's, it's, a, it's a means by which God, it's just showing the narrative is trying to say, hey, God is aware of the foolish, prideful, self-centered ways we seek to build a life apart from him. God is not deceived by it. God is not freaked out by it. He is aware of it, and he has a specific word to speak to it, which is in verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. They're unified together. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Meaning, this is the beginning of what they will do. If left unchecked, things will go badly for these people. And nothing, verse 6, that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now again, at first reading, you think, God's a bit frightened. Here are the big bad humans building a tower to the heavens, and God's like, oh no, I didn't know. Okay, what do I do? Oh, I gotta do something. That's not, that's not the God we've seen so far. Genesis 1 and 2, what does it show? God is completely in control over all things. He created all things. He's created humans and has power, power and love over them. He is not frightened by human pride and foolishness? No, he is not caught off guard. So what is happening? Well, I, I think what's happening here is this. The verse is saying this. It's showing God's concern for humans uniting together in a common pursuit to build a life apart from him. Because God knows that if you build a life apart from him, it can only end in disaster. Because you are going southbound on a northbound freeway, and there are semis coming. 70 miles an hour. And God knows that. See, the human heart tries to deceive itself. That as we build our lives, we, you know, in some season we feel happy, we feel pretty fulfilled. God's really a, kind of a distant figure. But what we are doing, actually, we're, we're deceived. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin. Meaning, what it, what it feels like is you're actually, it's not that bad. It's okay to build a life for yourself, to uh, construct, you know, go to work and, and build those little towers for your name, say, all that, it just, it's a good thing. But what this story is telling us is that God sees it and he has a word of caution and warning and concern towards the path, the direction that we are heading. Parents, you know this, right? Parents, you know that there are times 
where your kids are about to grab the knife out the kitchen, ta- t- kitchen table because they think, ooh, fun, you know, and, but you know that's going to be lopped off two fingers, okay? Now, they don't understand that in their, you know, puny understanding, but you do, and so what do you do? Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, oh, slow down there, little Jimmy, you know. Don't grab that. Don't touch that, Right? That's what I think God's doing. Out of a loving concern for people, he knows that this will lead towards disaster, 70 miles an hour towards southbound, going northward. He is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is getting out of hand. Nothing they propose, nothing, no plan that they make will be impossible for them, meaning it will lead towards disaster. And out of his justice and concern, God steps in and begins a plan. Look at verse 7 to 8. God says, come, let us go down. There's that word again, going down. And there confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. Now, why is that? Well, think about how this whole thing started. The whole thing started because people could speak to each other. So God's saying, I'm going to confuse the very thing that helped them come together, and it's going to what? What's the whole purpose of it? Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, left off building the city. See, the confusion of language is for the sake of dispersal. Now, I want you to notice something very closely about verses 5 to 8. If you look at verses 5 to 8, they are the exact reversal of verses 1 to 4. Let me give you some examples. Verse 1, people have one language, one people. Verse 6, one people, one language. God's going to confuse the language, okay? Verse 3 and 4, come, let us make, let us build for ourselves city and tower. Verse 7, come, let us go down, okay? Build up, go down. Verse 4, so we are not dispersed. Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them. See, this is a wonderful, amazing, well-crafted story in which the flow of the passage is itself, I think, the point of the story. Here are humans coming together, building themselves up for their own name's sake, for their own reputation, their own pride, not wanting to be dispersed. Here's the Lord coming down, and then what? Verse 8, dispersing them out. Summary in verse 9. Therefore, its name was Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, right? Confusing language all the earth is what? A flip, the exact reversal of verse 1. One language, one people. Now it's confused the language of all the earth. And from there, again, the focus. The Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. It's an exact reversal of what happens in verse 4. So again, the question. How does God respond to the wrong direction of our Babel hearts? Well, the text is very clear. God reverses the direction of our hearts. God comes downward to move us outward for his purpose and his praise to get humans to move in the right direction again. So here's a summary. What does Babel show us? Babel shows us something crucial. Number one, apart from God, humans have a propensity in their heart to move upward in building a a name for themselves, establishing a a a reputation apart from God, upward, and it's for an inward purpose. It's for seclusion and security away from the purpose of God. But God's purpose for humans cannot be thwarted by human foolishness and sinfulness. God's purpose is to come down to what? Disperse us, to move us outward for his purpose. That's what Babel is all about. But here's a twist. As you read this story, I think there's a tension built within chapter 11. Because if you just think of it, right, God has just moved them outward. And who has he moved outward? He may have changed the location of the people of Babel, but he has not yet transformed their heart. Different location, but not yet a transformation. And so what we actually find in the rest of Scripture 
is that God is going to solve this huge, massive, terrible problem, which is the problem of the human heart, and an upward and inward human heart. And where does it begin? Well, it begins right after Genesis 11 in Genesis 12. We taught this two weeks ago, but it's worth seeing again. You see, among this group of rebellious, babble-hearted people, God chooses one man and his wife, Abram and Sarah. And you know what he says to Abram and Sarah? He says, it says, the text says, he blesses them. And then verse 2, just check this out. This is cool. Verse 2, I will make your name great, Abram. I will make your name. Here are people seeking to make their names great. I'm actually going to make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Through one man, God's plan is to reverse what happened in Babel. Now, what's here is fascinating, the rest of the story of, of the Old Testament. is If you read the story, actually, where did God's people end up for a long period of time? In a place called Babylon. Babylon. So there is a really fascinating tension in the Bible, and it is this. God may, for a season, change the outward circumstances, but the inward heart has not yet been changed. Because what it shows is that God's people continue to move back to Babylon in their hearts and therefore in their lives. So how is God going to reverse our Babel hearts? What is, what is God's solution? What does Babel story tell us? What do we see? God must come down to then reverse the direction of our hearts. God must come down to then move us out. And that is why Jesus is so amazing. Just think about Jesus, Parkview. Think about Jesus in light of what this story is showing. What is the solution to the human heart? God coming down. Isn't Jesus God coming down into our Babel-hearted world? And just think about how amazing Jesus is, right? If Babel, okay, fundamentally, right, what we saw, the Babel heart is going upward in praise of self and then secluding yourself, right, inward instead of going outward, right? Right? upward and inward. Well, just think about Jesus. Think about how amazing Jesus really is in light of the Babel story. He's the only human who has not been infected with the Babel disease. He's the only human who never lived for praise of self. If you read the Gospel of John, one of the things that Jesus says consistently, I want to be about my Father's business. I want to live for my Father's glory. Again and again, it is a sign. of a, a, Jesus is the one person who has lived for the praise, not of self, but of God of his heavenly Father whom he loves. And think of it, Jesus, if there's one person who didn't live in an inward seclusion, is it not Jesus? I mean, he goes around, he heals people, speaks to people, loves people, sacrifices his time for people. He is the most overflowing, outward-facing human person who's ever existed. Philippians 2 says it like this. He did not grasp onto his glory. He did not build a tower for his own selfishness, but he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. We could say Jesus went northbound on a southbound highway for you and me on the cross, right? That's so amazing. But here's how Philippians 2 finishes. It says it like this. Therefore, because Jesus, because he's taken upon himself our sinfulness, our babble hearts, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. So here we are with Babel hearts creating little towers for our name's sake. And here's God actually giving the name to Christ the Son through one man. Just like, right? Jesus in the line of Abraham through one man, one name given through whom people can be set free 
from living a life in the suffocating inward selfishness of a Babel heart. In Jesus, we find the reversal of Babel, where humans, through Jesus, begin to build a life not apart from God, but with, for, and under God's loving power, presence, and rule. That is the purpose of Babel, is to lead us to the only one that can resolve the Babel hearts that you and I have. So, how does this shape life together at Parkview? This is really wonderful stuff so far, hopefully we're seeing. God's great reversal of the human heart through Christ, his son. He's the only one who's not lived the Babel heart life, right? We have that in Jesus. Okay, what difference does that make? Wait, well, here are three things. Okay, number one. Number one, have you exchanged your Babel heart for the heart of Christ? Do you remember that one guy that I talked about at the very beginning? He was going down the wrong way, right? Well, if I remember right, uh, I remember he had to pull off and he had to turn around and be going the, wrong, the right direction. Parkview, some of you here today, we need to turn around. We have been going down the wrong direction. We've been heading southward on a northbound highway, and there are semis coming 70 miles an hour towards us. And it's time to change. It's time to turn around, to move directions back to how God has called you to live. And how does that happen? It happens as you encounter Jesus. It happens as you see Jesus, the one who lived a life you should have lived and died the death you should have died. He was the one who lived out the non-babble-hearted life. Why? So that he could fill your heart with his love, so he could fill your heart with his compassion, so Jesus could fill your heart with his outward overflowing peace and mercy. That is the plan of Jesus for you. Some of us here are not yet followers of Jesus. We've not yet committed to following him. And so the offer of Jesus to you today is to receive his heart, to exchange your Babel heart for the beautiful heart of Jesus, meaning no longer living inward for self and selfish praise and, and resisting. No, but instead living the life you're always meant to live. I wonder if some of us are living under a heavy burden of meaningless and hopelessness because we have forsaken God's call for our life, which is to live outward in love and blessing to those around us. And that life is given to us in no other name except Jesus. And so we must exchange our hearts to Jesus. And all it is is basically going to Jesus honestly and say, Jesus, I'm just so selfish. I just love myself. I want to lift myself. Would you help me? Would you change me? Would you help me start living for your purposes? Would you fill me with your love? Would you give me your heart? And he does. That is what Christ offers you. Second, because of Jesus, Parkview must continue to become a place where the name of Christ is praised. I think our number one most uh, persnickety, little devilish struggle <laughs> that we struggle with as, as Christians, if we're honest, I think, in our culture, is we just, uh, we lust after human approval. We just, we, just are so, we just crave other people to like us at work. We crave uh, people in our family just to, you know, oh, I just, I'm so desperate for just word after word of affirmation. Again, affirmation's good, but I think you get what I'm saying. We feel such deep insecurity. We're not okay with ourselves, and it's because we are seeking to build a reputa reputation through our own power, through our own means, instead of resting in the reputation that's already given to us in Christ. Think of Jesus. Who has the greatest reputation ever in history? 
Jesus, okay? Even if people don't believe and love Jesus, you never find someone saying, wow, Jesus, he was a jerk, and he was the worst ever. No, people, most people agree he was the most amazing, fascinating human being. Some people don't think he's God. At Parkview, we do believe he's God and worthy of all worship and praise. But you know what I'm saying? He has all the reputation. And guess what? In Jesus, you receive his accolades, his performance. You know, he's done the thing that you wish you had. He already has it. John 17 says this. Sometimes I wonder, man, is this really in the Bible? It is. It's in the Bible. It's true. Uh, it says that uh, God loves us just as much as he loves his son Jesus. We've already been given the name, right? Some of us are trying right now to build a name for ourselves, but we already have the name, the name of Christ. Think about what that would mean for your work. Think about as you engage your work, you're driving in on Monday, the work no longer becomes a means by which you build up your portfolio or seen to be excess, uh, successful or whatever it is. Work then becomes, instead, from the heart of Jesus, a way that you're contributing something beneficial to your neighbor in service of Jesus. Christ fills you with his heart to send you outward in love. In your family life, right? Your spouse, your kids, they no longer exist for your own, you know, pleasure or your own, just to serve you. I think it's so hard sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I'm driving home, and there's times where I walk in the door, I'm like, ah, I do not want to deal. If Haddon is crying yet again and fussing around, I just don't want, I don't want to deal with it. And you know what to do in those moments? I have to say, Jesus, fill me with your love by your Holy Spirit's power and help me walk into this place to serve and bless. And he always does. He always helps me. What, what, what place is that for you? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's your roommate. Maybe it's with a coworker. I don't know what it is for you, but we all have those places, right? That's why where you have these conflicting desires where you just, oh, I, just, I, just I want people here just to be about me. And the Christian heart through Jesus is to say, I'm here to love them, to serve. Who can I reach out to? Who can I speak a word of encouragement to? Who can I help? That's what Christ gives us. Last thing in the church, right? In the church, guys, think about what this means for us, right? There's a temptation because of our consumeristic culture to view church primarily as a place for passive observation where everyone on stage and the pastor, they do all the stuff and we sit there and we go, cool, sing some songs, and then we go and we watch the bears or whoever, you know. And that's it. That's church. I went to church. What if, because we're filled with the heart of Christ, that sends us outward, God, Jesus has come downward, and the we start thinking about, hey, I go, I'm going to come to church six minutes early. And in those six minutes early, I'm going to find someone I've never met before, introduce myself, and see how they're doing. And who knows, as you ask just helpful questions about their week, they might share something with you about a burden going on in their life, and you could pray for them right there. Or you stay a little bit after. You stay seven minutes afterwards, seven minutes before going to go get your awesome lunch, and you think, man, who's here for my community group that I, oh man, I remember Lisa from my community group. Man, she was really struggling this past week, and she asked for prayer. I need to go check in on Lisa. What if we engage Sunday mornings as a place where by speaking and loving and encouraging each other, we're all growing up in Jesus? It's not a place to come and just stuff ourselves as consumers, but a place to love, to be on the lookout. Who needs help? How can I give? How can I serve? That's what Parkview is designed to be. Christ has come to reverse our Babel hearts, to send us outward in love. That's what Jesus gives the Holy Spirit for, is to empower us for this work of love. Finally, it's this. Park, you must continue to allow God to move us outward to bless the world. 
power to bless the world. Think about your neighborhood. I know for me, it's just so, I'll just be honest with you, right? I'd rather just sit and watch Netflix than go to my next door neighbor and just strike up a conversation. But think about what we have with Jesus. Someone who got super uncomfortable, left the praise of heaven to come on earth, and he's done that for us. So we too, in following our wonderful Jesus, could take a risk in our neighborhood. But also think about missions, okay? Some of us, most of us, right, are not gonna go to the mission field, but we can pray, we can give, and the reason we're doing that is because of this. Think about what's happening right now around the world every day. We have neighbors waking up in Johnson County. We have people waking up in Middle East in China, and you know what they're living with? They're living with hearts full of babble. Hearts bent on inward selfishness, hearts separated from a life-giving relationship with God. And you know that what you and I have, through Jesus Christ, we have hearts not of Babel, but of the beautiful outward love of Jesus Christ. And so we are called in some way to participate in God's great mission of drawing in people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, the Babel of this world, drawing them to the knowledge of the life-giving presence and power of Jesus Christ, and God wants to use us, his church. Parfum, this is what God is offering to us in Jesus. You and I no longer have Babel hearts. You and I are filled with Christ to overflowing in outward love. Jesus has come down for you to send you out for his purpose. Let's pray. Father, we love you that you have reversed Babel that through the gospel of Christ, we have been set free from a life of inward selfishness. Jesus has taken care of that on the cross. He's now filled us with his spirit. He's now sending us out as his church to disperse us over the whole earth, Johnson County and beyond, to be a blessing, Lord, to outwardly overflow with the love of Christ. So we have homes, we have friends, we have classmates, we have coworkers, Lord. We have people in our lives who are suffering and suffocated by a babble heart of inward selfishness, and they need to know the life-giving freedom of Jesus Christ that we have. And so please compel us by your Holy Spirit to send us out for your glory and our good. Amen.